0: Uh, well, good morning. Again, Shore Church, great to see you. Uh, as James mentioned, those of you maybe you're new visiting, my name is Joseph. I am the youth director over at Westside Church. Uh, so really excited to be with you, really excited to open God's Word with you. So if you do have a Bible, I hope you do, uh, go ahead and grab those. Take it out. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Now, if you're new to the Bible, as we all once were, uh, we have Bibles in the back. You can look on your phone, download the app, whatever works best for you, but just want to make sure uh, that you have that text in front of you uh, this morning. So, as James mentioned, again, we're wrapping up your series through the book of Colossians. So when James emailed me, and was like, hey, do you want to preach? I was like, yeah, totally. He was like, hey, how about Colossians? I was like, dude, I'm totally there without reading the passage. Uh, and then I read the passage and I was like, what the heck is this? Um, if you look down at your passage, you'll see this is basically uh, just a, a list of names. So we have Tychicus, we have Onesimus, we have some guy named Aristocats. Uh, and it's just, it seems like, if you're like me and you're reading through your Bible and you come to this passage if you're like me uh, this is something that you would tend to just skip uh, you're like give me to the good stuff, give me to the theology like I don't care about these end credits of the movie uh, I just want like the real things going on but uh, I think there is something in here for each of us this morning this is part of god 's word this ultimately points us to Jesus and so there are things in here for us to glean together. So there's, there's a lot going on in these few verses than we would typically think. So it, I honestly couldn't be more excited and it couldn't be a more appropriate way to end this series, as we'll see. Uh, so would you stand with me, uh, Short Church, as we read Colossians 4, stand if you're able to. Um, we're gonna read verse seven uh, through the end of the letter, verse 18. Uh, Paul writes this, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Verse 12. Well, it was a cloudy and freezing day uh, in the month of May when the impossible situation began. Um, During the early stages of World War II, the German army had invaded the Netherlands, which set off a chain of reaction that ultimately led to over 400,000 troops trapped in France with the German army to the south and the English channel to the north. So if you know your World War II history, you'll know that this is referred referred to as the Battle of Dunkirk, which was recently just made into an incredible uh, movie. Now, obviously, Britain and France, they wanted to get their boys out of uh, France and freed, bring them to safety uh, and free from the threat of the Germans coming up from the south. But due to uh, the threat of German submarines and the weather being really bad in the port at Dunkirk, uh, both of those Royal Navies were unable to bring in their massive carrier ships to free these troops. And so they were just trapped on the beach. They had nowhere to go. They couldn't go to the South. They obviously couldn't go into the English Channel and East and West was blocked off. So 400,000 troops, they're locked on the beach. There is nowhere to go. So what ended up happening was these civilians stepped up to the plate. So these Irish and these Dutch and these French civilians leveraged what they had in order to partner with these uh, countries to get the boys out of Dunkirk. So they got in their little tugboats and their fishing boats and their private yachts, uh, and they set off 75 kilometers across the English Channel to save these troops, Now, these civilians didn't have much. They're these little boats. Maybe they could take five, 10, 15, maybe 20 or more across the English Channel, but they saw themselves as part of something bigger than what they were able to provide. If they would have just looked at their boats or or looked at who they are, they weren't even their own countrymen, some of these people, but they were willing to step up, step into action and say, I don't have much, but I'm gonna partner with these Uh, countries and I'm going to leverage what I have for the sake of rescuing people. And history tells us that's exactly what happened. The heroes of the battle of Dunkirk were these everyday normal civilians who had resources, even though they didn't feel like it was much or didn't feel like it was good as other peoples, but they leveraged those, what they had to rescue troops from the threat of death. So their willingness and humility and action ended up changing the course of the entire war and history itself. Now, in a lot of ways... These civilians in these little motorboats are a picture of what Paul is talking about in our text for today. So Paul here is describing what happens when people see themselves as part of something bigger than themselves and are willing to leverage their time, their gifts, their abilities, and their resources for the sake of the gospel going out and making Jesus known. So this morning, very simply, I want us to consider two questions as we walk through this text. Again, end of the series, it may seem like just a list of names. Uh, You may be looking at this list and you're like, uh, okay, my name's not in here, so what does this have to do with me? Uh, Unless your name is, of course, Onesimus, in which case you can just not listen to me because you're a baller anyways. But I want us to consider what does God have for us in this Passage. So two questions I want us to consider uh, as we walk through this test. The first question I want us to consider is this. What is your personal role in the kingdom of God? What is your personal role in the kingdom of God? So if you look down at your passage, you'll see that Paul starts off by talking about some people that are very important to him. He describes each person and he writes a little bit about each person, greeting them or giving them uh, a bit of encouragement. And as we walk through each of these people, uh, I want you to partner with me in this and just do a bit of compare and contrast between your life, your situation, your resources, your background, And the background of these brothers and sisters that we read about. So don't check out, engage, compare, contrast with me. So, Paul starts off by talking about the two messengers of this letter. So, again, if you've been around, you know this, but just by way of reminder, Paul is in jail in Rome. He writes a letter back to this church in the city of Colossae, uh, and he's laid out the good news of the gospel, who Jesus is, and how the gospel affects every area of our life. Then he gets to this passage, the very end, and he's like, okay, by the way, give my greetings to these people. So, the first person that we read about is Tychicus. Uh, Tychicus was a native of Asia Minor, and he was a member of Paul's ministry team. So you can read about him more in Acts 20, but he carries this letter with him. Paul writes that he is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. He also mentions that his desire is for Tychicus to, quote, encourage their hearts. Now, as Tychicus brings this letters, there's a lot of ways that he could, could have encouraged their hearts. Maybe it would have been preaching or teaching or leading worship. Uh, it could be maybe the, the big ministries in a church, but encouraging people's hearts could take place in serving or praying with one another or leading a Bible study or being hospitable or giving Um It could be through kindness or through prayer or worship. There are a lot of ways that Tychicus could have encouraged people. And for us here this morning, there's a lot of ways for you as the Shore Church to encourage people. Paul then mentions Onesimus, uh, and Onesimus was a servant of Philemon. And if that name rings a bell, it's because Paul actually wrote a letter to Philemon. It's another book in the Bible. Uh, And Onesimus was one of Philemon's servants, or another way you could say that was his employee. And what ended up happening with Onesimus was he stole from Philemon, and then he fled. And so that was the situation between Philemon and Onesimus. But eventually, uh, Jesus got a hold of Onesimus' heart and he came back, he repented, he confessed his sin, he acknowledged Jesus was king. And in his letter to Philemon, Paul tells him to accept Onesimus back as his brother. Now notice how Paul describes this man who betrayed Philemon. Paul says that Onesimus, since repenting and confessing Jesus as Lord, is a faithful and beloved brother and is one of you. This change highlights the transforming power of the gospel because the gospel has a power to give you a new identity. Onesimus was not marked by who he was or what he had done or the sins that he had committed. First and foremost, Onesimus was a child of the king who was accepted, who was beloved, who was forgiven and righteous because of his faith in the finished work of Jesus for him. Which is such an incredible encouragement for us in the room who struggle with our identity, right? Those of you who like me, Um, we have a tendency to think that we are what we can accomplish or we are what we can do or we are our past. We are the abuse that has been done to us. We are our divorce or our bank account or our regrets or our shame. But sure, church, if you've put your faith in Jesus, God sees you the same way that Paul saw Onesimus, Onesimus a faithful and beloved brother or sister, regardless of what has happened, is happening, or even will happen in your life. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Not your kid's behavior or your quarterly earnings or your loneliness or even your faithfulness to your Bible reading plan or your past abuse. Nothing can can separate you from God's love because you have Jesus' righteousness credited to you. So rest in him this morning. So after talking a bit about the messengers of this letter, Paul goes on to talk about a few more brothers and sisters uh, that he wants to talk about. He mentions Aristarchus, uh, who Paul says is a fellow prisoner with him. So this is somebody who Paul has been suffering with, who has been in jail with him because of his faith in Jesus. This is a brother of Paul who has gone through the thick and the thin with him Uh, He then moves on to talk about Mark. And Mark, again, if that rings a bell, it's because there's a book of the Bible, the gospel according to Mark. Now, this is the same person as John Mark. So Mark and John Mark, same person, just depending on the context. And what's interesting to know about John Mark is that he actually accompanied Paul on Paul's first missionary journey. So John Mark teams up with Paul and Barnabas. They go on a missionary journey together. They're doing ministry. They're preaching. They're planting. Everything's going great. And then the Bible says that there's a sharp disagreement between John Mark and Paul and Barnabas. And what ended up happening is they split. So Paul and Barnabas, they go and do their own thing over here. John Mark goes and he does his own thing over there. There's a split in the ministry There's this big disagreement, scholars debate over what it is of what happened between John Mark and Paul and Barnabas, but what's not debated is that John Mark was somebody that Paul could have seen as someone who had burned him or had sinned against him, right? If you think of that story, you think of Paul writing, what would Paul naturally be able to say about John Mark? Like, honestly, don't listen to him. Like, he's not on our team. He's not, he doesn't worship Jesus the same way we do. Like, we shouldn't partner with him. Reject him if he comes to your city. Paul could have been bitter. He may have even had the right to denounce or disown John Mark because of this sharp disagreement. But Paul says in verse 10 that John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, I know, shocking, the cousin of Barnabas, like, wow, that is, that is something else. But what Paul is saying is, John Mark is family. He's one of us. Paul is saying that regardless of what has happened between us, we are still family because we are united by the blood of Jesus. Because Paul understands that in the family of God, there's no room for partiality, There's no room for unforgiveness. There's no room for injustice. There is no room for bitterness. Why? Because as followers of Jesus, we look to Jesus as the example of this. Right? We read about uh, that Jesus died for us while we were still enemies. While we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for his enemies. And so we then look to Jesus as our example, and we treat everyone else in our life the way that Jesus has treated us, which again, gospel encouragement for us this morning. Lastly in this list, Paul mentions Jesus, who is called Justice. Uh, That's literally the only thing we know about him. So at this point, you know as much as I do, so we're moving on. Uh, But these last three, Aristarchus, John, Mark, and Justice are all identified as men of the circumcision, which is again, kind of a weird club name. Uh, But what is happening here is that Paul is indicating that these are Jewish Christians. Now, if you remember at this time in the history of the church, being a Jew and following Jesus is not a good combination right? Jesus comes on the scene. He's this Jewish Messiah. He announces the kingdom of God. What ends up happening? He gets arrested. He gets assaulted. He gets murdered. All right, so being a Jew and a follower of this Messiah was not a good combination. Jews sharing the gospel, this good news of Jesus with other Jews, was you're basically like signing your death warrant, The religious legalism of the old covenant was still hanging on. And these uh, religious leaders were persecuting these Christians for believing in Jesus. But Paul here surrounds himself with brothers and sisters who were literally dead serious about their faith in this Jesus. These three risked everything to follow Jesus and make him known in their city and in their context and in their community. Their faith in Jesus would have meant that they would have been rejected, they would have been made fun of, they would have been passed over for promotions, they would have been discounted and discredited and talked bad about, all because of nothing other than their faith in this Jewish Messiah who died and rose again. So in a lot of ways, their risk is similar to our risk on the North Shore. If you follow Jesus, that is going to cost you on the North Shore. It's going to cost promotions. It's going to cost family members. It's going to cost maybe even your bank account because you might get passed over for a promotion. You may be misaligned. People may say things about you that aren't true. This is exactly what happened to these three brothers. Now, before we continue, uh, let me remind you of our first question. What is your personal role in the kingdom of God? As we've seen so far, these are normal everyday people. All right, these are, these are guys who are just coming along with Paul. They're not these amazing church planters. They're not these like great preachers or worship leaders. These people are not verified on Twitter. These people don't get talked about in the mom's club as like having it all together. These are just normal, everyday people who see their part in the kingdom of God as something bigger than themselves. We see prisoners and encouragers and colleagues and ministry team leaders and evangelists and even justice. We don't even know anything about the guy. But Paul says, this guy is on our team. They're just being faithful to what God has called them to do. And that's not even everyone. Look with me. Uh, at verse 12. Paul talks about Epaphras next. Now, if you've been around Shore Church the last couple months, you'll you'll hopefully recognize this name because Paul mentions him earlier in chapter 1. So the people in this church in the city of Colossae actually heard the gospel from Epaphras, who is their fellow Colossian. So Paul came, meets uh, Ephesus, or Epaphras, they start doing ministry together. And some scholars even note that this phrase on your behalf in verse 12 could have meant that Epaphras was representing Paul to this church, meaning like he was their pastor. He was the one who planted the church. This was the person who set aside their personal wants and desires, followed God's call, was faithful, planted a church, and it's just been slugging it out week in and week out for the sake of his people. Paul's saying that Epaphras was basically a ministry beast. He was preaching the gospel. He was zealous, zealously praying for his church and the other churches in the city. He was working nonstop to see his brothers and sisters stand mature in Christ and be assured of God's will. Now, luckily for your sure, church, you have someone like this. I don't work here anymore. James isn't my boss and I'm preaching. So what I say goes, and I can say this, but James Bonney is one of the most passionate, faithful, zealous pastors I've ever met in my life. If you know my story, uh, I moved from Florida here to Vancouver. My wife and I, we sold everything we had. We felt God calling us here to Vancouver to start the youth ministry over at Westside. And I remember sending the first email and I was like, and get gonna talk to the campus pastor because there's no way this Norm guy is gonna get back to me, but James definitely will. So I email James, I'm like, hey man, this is crazy. I'm not Canadian, I've never even been to the West Coast, but like, you guys need a youth ministry and I wanna do youth ministry, so like, hire me. Here's my resume. So James calls me, we start emailing, then we have a phone interview and one thing leads to another. Next thing I know, we're selling everything and we're moving up here to Vancouver. And James has been one of those guys who's been my pastor, he's been my boss, he's been my friend, he's been my mentor, but most importantly, he's been my brother. And there are a lot of churches out there who do not have an Epaphras struggling for them. They have people at the helm of the church who want to build their own kingdom, who want to build their follower base, who want to get the tweets out. They're about themselves. It's rare to find someone who will give everything to ensure that their people stand mature in Christ and live assured of God's will. But by God's grace, you have that, sure, church. So trust James, follow him as he follows Christ. He's a faithful pastor and he loves Jesus with all of his heart. And if you're new to church or you've been burned in the past, or maybe you just have started come, coming since Easter the last couple weeks and, and you're skeptical about Jesus or, or you, you maybe have some baggage with church and, and this is all new to you, uh, I want to encourage you. Sure, Sh- church is a safe place for you. Come back, get to know people, keep exploring, sign up for Alpha, ask questions. And I trust you'll find the same thing here that the Colossians found 2,000 years ago. Paul ends this list by talking about Luke and Demas, both of which have interesting stories. Luke, again, as you know, the gospel according to Luke, uh, he was a super smart physician. So this guy is like PhD level. He knows everything. He's researched. He's learned. Luke was actually a Syrian, uh, which was to the north. And Luke did not grow up in a Jewish faith. So Luke had no context for this idea of the law or sacrifices or the family of Abraham. All these things we read about, he had no context for that. He didn't have a Christian background. Luke came to faith much later in life, but eventually heard the message of Jesus. The gospel transformed his heart. He put his faith in Jesus. And then he convinced somebody to give him money to go around writing and learning more about Jesus. So Again, Luke was also a baller. Demas, on the other hand, uh, was not, did not end up uh, well. Demas ended up leaving the faith. So Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4 that Demas eventually fell in love with this present world and eventually left the faith, he abandoned Jesus, and he fled to the city of Thessalonica, which was basically the Vegas of the ancient world which I think is a warning for us here, that, here this morning, that just because we have passion now and, and things are going well does not mean that we can just coast through life, show up on the weekends and hope that someday when our lives end, our good outweighs our bad. That's what happened to Demas. We, like Epaphras and John Mark and Onesimus and others are called to labor day in and day out for the sake of the gospel. I was just uh, up in the rafters with the prayer team before, and, and uh, Mihai was talking about just a, a word of encouragement, and, and we were talking about how real death is, how real sin is, and how broken our world is, and the need for us as followers of Jesus to step in to what Jesus has called us to do and faithfully live out the good news of the gospel and be ambassadors of the king as we live in exile. Which brings us, again, back to our first question. What is your personal role in the kingdom of God? Where do you see yourself What's your role here on the North Shore? Now this can be a hard question to think about because it's ethereal and it's kind of in your mind and it's not on the ground. So let's put it on the ground. Let's say several years from now, uh, a church planter comes up through Shore Church and they go to plant a church in Whistler and you plant and a couple years in, uh, this planter, this team writes an email back or comes back for your ministry team appreciation party telling about all the good news that has happened, all the things God has done and the baptisms and the sermon series and the community groups, and man, things are going really well. And they give their credits or their greetings for Shore Church. What would be said of you? If that team were to write back and say, man, thank you for your name, what would be said of you? Maybe it would go something like this. Give my greetings to John or to Brenda they showed up when they could make it. And I think I saw him at CG once or twice. He was a pretty good guy. She was nice, but they never really invested in the mission of Shore Church. They, I didn't really know him at all. Or would it go something like this? I praise God for Julia. She came early. She stayed late. She set up week in and week out. I give thanks for Don who served in kids every single week and just shared Jesus with a bunch of crazies expecting nothing in return. Maybe they would say, greet Tom in the name of the Lord who owned a home on the North Shore and leveraged that home for the sake of the church and youth and community groups and women's Bible study. And their door was always open to anyone who had need. Maybe they would say, in my sufferings, I thank the Lord for the Arnold family. They showed up and served every week. They led a CG out of their home. And I showed up every week as we followed Jesus Together. Maybe they would end by saying, Say hello to Amy. We had so many encouraging trips to Starbucks and she spoke so much gospel truth into my life. I praise God for her. What is your personal role in the kingdom of God? How has God uniquely gifted, called, and resourced you? What gifts or abilities? Do you have? What does your bank account look like? What does your schedule look like? How can you leverage those things to see the gospel go out and people here on the North Shore who are dying looking for meaning and joy and purpose? How can you leverage those things in order to see them be born into the family of God and transferred from darkness into light? Maybe it's serving on one of the ministry teams or maybe it's leading a Bible study or using your house or your time or your bank account or your energy. Maybe it's teaching and preaching. Maybe God's calling you into ministry. Maybe you just wanna every single day pray for the short church and that's your role. That's what you feel God calling you to. Because every single thing that you do every single day is part of your role in the kingdom of God. Every load of laundry, every meeting, every email, every kilometer logged in the car, every diaper, every minute of your suffering, every inch of pipe and drape, everything matters when you understand your role in the kingdom of God. But the question is not just what is your personal role, In the kingdom of God. The second question we see in our text is What is your corporate role in the kingdom of God? Collectively, as the shore church, what is your corporate role? In verses 15 to 17, Paul shifts from talking about specific individuals to talking about entire communities. So these are entire churches. He mentions the brothers and sisters at Laodicea. He mentions Nympha and the church that she leads out of her home. And he even asks that this letter not just be read to the Colossians, but to the other churches in the area. So Paul is concerned, not just with this small community, but the church as a whole, in the community, in the city, in the area, ultimately around the globe. That's why he uses the, the metaphor of a body in First Corinthians 12, when he writes this, it should be on the screen. For just as one body and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. Why? Why is that true? Why is that a case? Well, he goes on to write, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul wanted the Colossians to see that they are part of the body and every member of the body is important. No part is more important than the other. And when a body is flourishing, every part of the body is being faithful to its design and its purpose together, making a difference. All parts are vital to the healthy flourishing of the whole. A few years ago, I read about uh, a man named Adoniram Judson, uh, who was a missionary from North America to what is now Myanmar uh, in the 1900s. So when when Judson was 24 years old, uh, he left everything that he had. He got on a boat. He sailed from North America all the way over to Myanmar, which is east of India, uh, to reach an unreached people group. Um. 12 years in, uh, his wife died on the journey over. He married another girl. She got sick and died. And five of his kids that he had in Myanmar hadn't made it past birth. So after 12 years, he had very few converts. Most of his family had died and he didn't really have anything to show for his work. And not only that, but at that time, Myanmar and Britain were in war together, and so being a white guy in a non-white guy place, he was just assumed as being a spy. So the government captured him, they brought him to this prisoner camp, and he was he was um, abused, he was beaten, he was starved for days on end, he was chained up. There were times when he journaled about, uh, they, they chained up his feet and they, they hoisted him up, and he was... He was sitting on the floor with just his head and his shoulders touching the ground for days on end. And not only that, his third wife, Anne, had multiple deaths death threats. She was the only Western woman in a place that hated the West and hated Christianity. She was getting sick. She was having fever. She just had had a baby. So she's nursing this baby that her husband had never even met in the jungles of Myanmar. She had to hike for miles and miles on end to try to win the freedom of her husband because her husband was wrongly accused of something that he did not do. And in one of their exchanges... When his wife asked him if he'll survive this prison, he said this, "'It is possible my life will be spared. "'If it is, with what passion will I pursue my work? "'If not, his will be done. "'The door will be opened for others "'who would do the work better.'" Now, Judson was eventually freed, uh, and due to his labor, his efforts for the gospel, currently over 3,700 churches, not just people, but churches, trace their roots and their lineage back to Adoniram Judson and his commitment to the gospel. And if you were to ask Judson about his role in Myanmar, he would have told you that he was simply part of what God was doing all around the world. It wasn't about him it wasn't about his ministry or his church or his disciples. He wasn't building his own platform. He almost died. He was committed to seeing himself as a small part of what God was doing. Judson knew his role in the kingdom and saw himself as participating in how the gospel was moving out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. So back to our questions. What is your role in the kingdom of God here on the North Shore, both personally as an individual and corporately as the shore church? What is God calling you into this morning? And ultimately, uh, we don't find the answers to these questions in ourselves. We don't look at our gifts and our abilities and things that we can do for God. We don't even look at our own church for the answers to this. We look to Jesus. He is our perfect picture and the one that we look to because Jesus lived out this vision perfectly, right? Jesus is our model for understanding our role in the kingdom of God. If there was anyone who was faithful to their role in the kingdom of God, it was Jesus, Because it was Jesus who was actually commissioned by the Father to bring the kingdom of God here to earth and to reconcile us all back to the Father. And when we look to Jesus, we find the answer to both of these questions. Jesus proclaimed that he was the one who was bringing the kingdom of God to earth. The very kingdom that we find ourselves as followers of him living in is the same kingdom that he had to suffer and die in order to give us. In John 17, just before he's crucified, Jesus prays this to the Father. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work. Remember that phrase, completing the work that you gave me to do. So we, like Jesus, have work to do. But not only did Jesus fulfill his work perfectly, but after he was killed and murdered and ultimately raised to life, he gave us the very same spirit that raised him from the dead. And this spirit, John writes in his gospel, is the person who enables us to faithfully live out the mission of the kingdom of God that Jesus has entrusted to us as followers of Jesus living on the North Shore. So as we wrap up, uh, let's revisit our two questions. First, what is your personal role in the kingdom of God? How has God equipped you or resourced you or gifted you? And are you being faithful to steward and leverage those gifts and abilities for the sake of making Jesus known here on the North Shore? And secondly, what is your corporate role as the Shore Church on the North Shore? How has God called the shore church to make Jesus known? What is he calling this church to? And how can you personally participate in the corporate calling of making Jesus known on the North shore? So let me end this morning by encouraging you personally and corporately the same way that Paul ends his letter in our passage. So this entire passage, this entire sermon really could be summed up in this one Sentence Verse 17, say to Archippus or to Shore Church, personally, corporately, say to them, see that you fulfill the ministry or complete the work that you have received from the Lord. And Paul ends where everything begins with grace. Grace be with you. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for saving us and for calling us. To serve you, I pray, Jesus, that you would grow this ministry. That the Shore Church would be a place, a community that that people know is a place of of redemption and of safety and of reconciliation and of generosity. I pray that more people would come into relationship with you, and that years from now, I personally would receive emails and letters and see things on social media about the faithfulness, both personally and corporately, of the Shore Church, and that in the years to come, we will reflect and bear the same faithfulness that these brothers and sisters we read about today. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.